Let's stand again. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel, verse 12, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. I believe teenagers can be great young men and women of God. I don't believe they have to be pushed around by this world. Uh, this is what Pulse is all about coming up in a couple of weeks, a great week of spiritual emphasis and on October, the tw- on October the 2nd, excuse me, that night's a great night. We'd like for all of our junior high, high school students, college-age students to come and be a part of that over at the other building. Be praying for that. Say, I don't have any kids that age. Great, be praying for the ones that are. If you do have ones that age, encourage them to get there. 1 Samuel chapter 12. As she, uh, excuse me, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. And Eli said to her, how long will you go back on, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. Father, we thank you for your word that tells us uh, these great stories of faith and great stories of prayer that inform us, Father, of how to deal with the issues of our heart and the concerns of our life. Pray you'd help us to learn that today and step into that today and awaken us today to the needs that are around us in the world and awaken us to the needs that are in our own family and let our hearts truly feel the way we should feel. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you believe in life after death? Do you believe that the loved ones uh, who have passed on have just done that? They passed on to another place? What do you believe? Do you believe that there's a part of us that is eternal? If the answer to that question is yes, (coughs) excuse me, On what basis do you believe that? I mean, if you're an evolutionist, you can't believe that. I mean, that's just an absolute uh, conundrum for you. I mean, you can't sit and say, oh, these things just happen by natural uh, events and, you know, we're going to evolve into something else. There's no basis in evolution for eternal life. If you look at most, all other religions, Their concept of eternal life is completely different than what most of us see eternal life to be. And yet, almost everyone says it. Almost everyone says, oh, my loved one's gone to a better place. So if you believe in life after death, the only logical reason to believe in life after death is to believe that there's a creator, that we have been created And he made us to have eternal life. He created us 
so that our souls and our spirits would live forever. Now, if there's a creator who created eternal life, why do we have all the problems in the world that we have? Why do we have millions of people over the centuries killed in wars, people starving to death, bigotry, personal trials in life? Well, the same Bible who talks to us about eternal life explains it pretty clearly. We have a free will, and we've used that free will to rebel. And we've been broken off from the plan of God. But he promises us a better life in eternity. He actually promises us life to the full here. So the question is, why do we wait for eternity to begin to experience life to the full? Why do we wait? We've got to begin to listen. Now, friends, it's not hyperbole for me to say that we live in a day of great spiritual conflict. It's all around us. If you haven't seen it, you're either asleep, you've given in to it, or you haven't read your Bible very much. We live in a time when it feels like, looks like, seems like uh, the followers of Christ are losing. Let that soak in for a minute. Church attendance across our nation is down. The percent of unbelievers is up. When you look at even the people who call themselves Christians and you narrow it down to uh, a few other follow-up questions like do you believe the Bible's true and do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven and do you believe that you're, you have to be born again through, the number gets even smaller. We say we, be, we, we say we believe in this life after death that the Bible promises but we throw out the moral boundaries that the Bible establishes. We question them, we deny them. We push them, and they are moved. We say we believe in life after death, and the message of life that is given by the one who promises us life after death is ignored. If you believe in a life after death that is personal, where you're going to actually go to heaven, where you're going to exist as a conscious being like you are today, if you're going to have reunions with people that you love who've gone before you, that is a uniquely Christian concept. What are we going to do about it? And what do we do here? I, I talk to people, I talk to someone, talk to people this week, friends this week, who look at where America's at, look where our culture's going, and they simply think it's too late. We've drifted too far. Maybe what we need to do is hunker down, keep our mouths shut, maybe, maybe even change a little bit of what we believe to fit in with the crowd. Just try to get along. Across America today, churches are doing that very thing. They're changing their message. They're denying biblical authority. They're denying biblical direction to try to... Try to appease the crowd. When church leaders refuse to speak to the moral corruption of the day for fear of someone being offended, every person who believes that God is loving and right should stop and take note. We should be stunned. Now what can we do? 
I believe the church should be involved in good works. I love what what I saw our kids doing. I think we should be involved in doing good things. I think all of us as individuals should be involved in doing good works. We should give, uh, give, give, give to change things. We should give our time and our talents and our money. All of those are clear directives of the word. We should be involved in doing good works. I believe that the people of God should be kind and encouraging, loving and tolerant while we still speak a clear message. I believe the Bible is very clear that we're supposed to be a people of a message, but the message is supposed to be a loving message, a kind message, but a message that calls to repentance. I I believe we're supposed to be kind. I, I believe we should have fun activities uh, for our children and, and put them in places where in this culture they can learn and they can grow. That's why we'll do things like Pulse here in a few weeks where our kids can come and have a great time, meet some great friends, and then be confronted with the gospel of Christ. But listen, all of these are good. All of these are good. All of them are biblical. All of them are things that we should be doing. But I want to tell you today None of them will win the day. We are in a spiritual battle that will only be won by spiritual means. For some of you, that spiritual battle is very up close and personal. Your own temptations are right in front of you. You feel the pressure of family and friends to conform to their line of thinking and to reject biblical truth. You have a loved one or a friend who is far from God and you're very concerned about it. It's a very upfront, close, personal battlefield. For some, the battlefield has not quite shown up at your doorstep yet. Uh, but to that extent, we still feel the tide of the culture pushing against us. We still understand, and if we look back just a few years, you can begin to see how much our culture is pushing against our moral boundaries. Do you see the battle? Do you hear the bombs in the distance? Do you hear the call to surrender and give in? Do you think I'm overreacting? When the history of the world is complete and our day has been written down in the annals of heaven, what do you want to be said about your role in the battle? That you sat down and slept or that you stood up and entered into the fray? What do you want to have said? Right now, we need spiritual first responders. So how, how, do, how do we do that? Well, we just read this first chapter of Samuel. And then we read the story of Hannah. You need to understand the condition that Hannah was in. Hannah was married uh, to a godly man. She had, he was also had another wife, uh, but she didn't have a child. Now, you don't have to like it, but it helps to understand the, the, the culture that, that, that Hannah was in. In that culture, the woman's identity was completely wrapped up in her children. 
If she had children, she was blessed. If she didn't have children in that day, in the culture of the day, it seemed like a curse. This, this ran all the way through a lot of the, the Bible. The Bible doesn't necessarily condone it, but the Bible points it out. In the New Testament, uh, even in that time, we read about Elizabeth, the mother of John, who conceived John in her old age. Her recorded statement when she was known to, have, to be having a child in her old age was this, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. She had this passion. She had this need. She had this cultural identity. Children were her security. In old age, it was the children that would take care of the parents. Many times the, 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 the woman would be married to a much older man, and if, when he died, it was the kid's role to take care of mom. And to not have a child left them in a pretty vulnerable place. And on top of that, even though her husband loved her, and he had this other wife, and she had a lot of children, and she wasn't nice about it. She rubbed that fact in. She pointed it out again and again and again, the condition of her life. Each year, her husband would take him to Shiloh. Shiloh was the place where at that time in history, the, the tabernacle rested. It was a center of worship for the, the people of Israel at that point in time. Eli was there, who was the chief priest of the time. And, and even though this was the place of, of worship, it was a corrupt place. Eli, the priest, has these two sons. They are womanizers. They are drunkards. They are thieves. They are bullies. And Eli didn't do anything to stop him. He had been warned by God, but he ignored it. And it's into this kind of a place that Hannah goes for one of the great spiritual feasts. And again, fortunate to be married to a godly man, fortunate to be married to a man who loved her, but still she had this spiritual battle. And the Bible says that God, that God had closed her womb, that God wasn't letting her have a child. Her husband would try to comfort her. He would give her a double portion to show that he loved her. He would swear his love to her. He would try to comfort her and get her to accept her condition. He would say things to her like, aren't I of more value than 10 children, 10 sons? I'm going to take care of you. But Hannah, instead of giving in to her condition, instead of giving in to her circumstances, instead of saying it's helpless and there's nothing I can do about it, Hannah would not be consoled. The Bible tells us that year after year after year, she would come to the temple, she would come to, this, to the tabernacle with this issue in her heart, burning in her spirit, her rival giving her a hard time, the awareness of her condition right in front of her, and she would come to the temple, or to the, the tabernacle, and she would cry out to God out of her vexation, out of her anxiety, out of her deep concern that what's happening to her is not right, it needs to be changed. 
she would lift her voice to God. Year after year after year, the Bible says. Then came the year that she refuses to eat. She refuses to do. She goes to the doors of the of the the tabernacle again, and she's crying out to God. And Eli sees her. He looks at her. Her mouth is moving. She's not saying words out loud, but she's 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 lifting her voice in this place of despair place of desperation and Eli looks at her and he thinks I mean, this is how she's acting he thinks she's drunk and he rebukes her for being drunk and she looks at him and she says don't, don't, don't think of me as an evil woman she says I am crying out to God out of my anguish I'm deeply distressed. She was feeling the affliction of her hour. There was an emotional feeling of connection inside of her as to what was happening to her life. She pleads her case, and I, Eli sees the truth, and he speaks the promise of God. He says, go in peace, and may God give you what you want. And God did. Hannah knew what she wanted. We could talk a lot about the birth of Samuel and what that would mean to the people of Israel. But what this boils down to in this moment, in this message, is this. She knew what she wanted. And she knew that only God could intervene. There was nothing she could do. There was nothing her husband could do. There was nothing anybody else could do to change her circumstances. Only God could intervene. And what I present to you today, what I share with you today for this day, is that's the condition we're in today. Do you see the need? Does it stir your heart? Do you understand that it should be different? And it isn't. And there's nothing in our physical ability that can change anything. Engaging in the spiritual battle is not a matter of wishful thinking. It's not a matter of fleeting prayers. It's not even a matter of the acknowledgement of God's will. We enter the field of combat on the spiritual realm with persevering prayer, with heartfelt, spirit-driven, faith-believing prayer. We engage with God, believing that God will answer, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and that there is nothing impossible with God. See, in our circumstances today, we can shake our head and go, oh, this is bad. We can turn the channel on our TVs and watch something else. We can feel overwhelmed and say it's too late. We can even change our beliefs to kind of fit in with the world. Or you can begin to engage in the spiritual battle and begin to pray. This is why over these last weeks we've called to you, make an appointment with God and keep it. Build your prayer list that stir your heart. 
that brings the anguish and the pain of what's going on in the world around you that maybe is personal to you or that you see in this world, bring that prayer list to God and begin to pray and seek God. Here in a couple of weeks, starting on the 30th, uh, the 30th of September, we're going to begin 35 days of prayer. We're asking you to make a commitment for 35 days to pray every day. To make a commitment and to engage in the battle. Pray and don't give up until you see the answer. You cannot win a spiritual battle by natural means. We only win spiritual battles by spiritual means. We are invited to engage in the spiritual battle. Paul writes to the Colossians, and at the end of it, he talks about Epaphras. He says he is, who is one of you. He comes from, from, from the Colossians. You are a servant of Christ Jesus, and he says he greets you. Listen, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. See, we, we have this great gift of being able to rest in God for our salvation. But resting in God doesn't call us to just resting. Did you hear me? There's a, an ease about the church in the world today where we just want to go on Sunday morning, hang out on Sunday morning, feel good that we went on Sunday morning, and go about our life and then throw up a prayer every now and then. We want easy prayer, push-button prayer, quick and easy. However, over and over and over again in the Bible, when it talks about prayers that really intervene and change the circumstances of the day, it uses words like struggling. Epaphras struggles in prayer for you. It uses words like wrestling. We wrestle against powers and principalities. It uses words like striving, like agonizing, like fervency. These are words that are connected deep into the spirit. These aren't words that we just put on. These are not flesh-produced words. These are not just work our flesh upwards. These are cries of the heart. These are heartfelt heart sense words we are called the fight the fight of faith and for our spirits to be stirred if you were at a store uh, today and uh, you had a young child with you maybe it's your, your one of your kids maybe they're four or five years old maybe a grandchild they're there with you and you're, you're doing your shopping, and you look around, and they're gone. They've wandered off someplace. And, you know, in this day and age, your heart kind of beats a little faster when that happens. And you walk around for a couple minutes, you're looking for them, you can't find them. Now you're getting a little more worried. You go up to the front of the store, and just as you get to the front of the store, you see some guy and he has picked up your child. And your child is resisting, but they're too small. 
and he's dragging them crying towards the door. Is that the moment for polite conversation? Is that the moment where you look and say, oh, he's way bigger than me. There's nothing I can really do. I can't really stop him. Is that the moment that you look and say, well, I hope my kid gets this worked out. (laughs) What happens in that moment? Adrenaline begins to pulse through your veins. Your emotions come to this highest peak of protection for this child that you love. You explode in the fury of the moment. You throw caution to the wind, and what happens? The battle is engaged. All friends, I'm not overstating this. I'm not making a big deal out of nothing. It is time to engage in the battle. It is time to recognize what's going on in our culture. And it doesn't matter who we elect president or who's in the, in the Supreme Court. It just doesn't matter. Unless God moves, nothing's going to change. And I would tell you, if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, oh, pastor, you're overreacting. If your heart is not desperate, if it doesn't beat, if there isn't a heart cry in your spirit that we need an outpouring of God in our life that stirs, maybe you have it ignited. Yeah, I understand it, but I don't feel it. It doesn't drive me to do anything. I see what's going on, but shouldn't we just talk about this? Shouldn't we just be nice about this? Shouldn't we just hope things change? No, it's time for battle. It's time to engage in a spiritual side of this thing. It's time for our hearts to be desperate. And if our hearts are not desperate, then I would say, that needs to be your first prayer. God, wake me up to see this world the way you see this world. Hannah knew her only place of hope was in God. Hannah knew the condition of the world she was in. She recognized her own inability to change anything and that her only hope was to cry out to God. That's us today, folks. And I want to challenge you. Week after week, I just felt like this challenge is supposed to be, we need to, we need to start praying. You need to make an appointment with God, build your prayer list, the things that stir your heart or should stir your heart, the things that you're passionate to see different or the things that you look at the Bible and you know I should be passionate to be different or to be different. And you need to begin to seek God and ask God for a change. Every day. Every day. So, Pastor, I've never done this. Set 10 minutes aside and start. Ask God to stir your heart until it becomes a passion in you. For friends, God promises us that he rewards those who diligently seek him. God promises us that he moves and he heals the land when his people repent and cry out to him. God tells us that there is nothing that is hopeless. 
the overwhelming tide of sin that comes against our, us today that calls for us to accept what is wrong is what is right that seems to be overwhelming and unstoppable it only takes the voice of God to speak once and it will be cast aside God is all powerful and so the question remains when the annals of time are done and the world looks back on the history of America and our country and our families, our loved ones. What do we want to be written about us? That we set back in ease or we engage in the battle? I can't speak for you, but I'm telling you, I'm engaging. And I call you to engage. The greatest battle is over your own soul. Jesus entered into that fray 2,000 years ago. He stepped onto this earth as an invader in the form of a baby. He lived his life and he preached the truth, but he had one goal and one goal alone at the end of the day to seek and save the lost. And he made a, a, one of these places where the physical and the spiritual touch he went to the cross as a sinless man on this earth and shed his sinless blood so that you could be redeemed from the cost of sin and you could be saved. Our side of that is to hear that message and to put our faith in Jesus to be our Savior. If you haven't done that, He's battled for you. He's won the victory. You just have to step by faith into it. And it's yours. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for Christians today that you would stir our hearts today, Lord, that you would move us today, that we would decide that we're going to enter into the spiritual battle that we're going to do the, make the spiritual steps and begin to pray for our families and pray for our own lives and pray for our church and pray for our country. Oh, God, we pray you'd put the right heartbeat within us, that our heart <clears throat> would beat for these things like Hannah's heart beat, Lord. With, Lord, we, we invite anxiety and struggle and we invite desperation to come into our heart, Lord, to feel in the sense the way you would feel so we would be driven to do what we should do in this great battle. Do not let us sleep. Do not let us rest while the tide sweeps our families and our loved ones away. Fill us with your boldness and your courage just to invite people to your house. Fill us with boldness and courage, Lord, to share faith with others. Fill us with determination to learn how to pray, to cry out to you from a desperate heart for your victory. For, Lord, we believe victory is in your name, and there's no power greater than you. Stir in us, we pray, in Jesus' name. As every head's bowed, every eye closed.
You sit here and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure of my condition before God. I'm just not sure. Maybe you're sure that you're lost and you're far from God. You say today, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to make sure my heart is right with him. We just raise your hand. I'm not going to wait long. We just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I'm looking across this place for anyone. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else today? Anyone else who raise your hand and say, pray for me. See that hand in the back. God bless you. Anyone else today? God bless you. Most important decision in life right there. Bless God. Let's all pray this prayer together. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I ask you to guide my life every day. I put my trust in Jesus to be my Lord. I put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior. Now I ask you to help me to live for him who died for me. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, here's what we're going to do today. I want to remind you that no no matter how dark the hour is, no matter how bleak it may be, no matter how far a loved one is strayed from God, no matter how angry they may be when you uh, bring up the, the, the issue, no matter how far societies may, want from, may have run, run from God, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is still powerful. He's more powerful than them, and we need to pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. And we need to believe that God will be victorious. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a couple songs, a song or so, so here, and we're going to celebrate. You ready to celebrate? That God is...